in verses 1 9. So if you have a Bible with you, feel free to open up. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to follow along on the screen. It should be back there. Uh, please rise for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the, called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then down to verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Please be seated. It is, it is good to hear the choir again. My first uh, times and days with Thornhill a few years ago, it was one of the highlights that I took with me as I became to know and love the church. The story is told of a king in Africa who had a close friend with whom he grew up. The friend had a habit of looking at every situation that ever occurred in his life, either positive or negative, and he would remark, this is good. One day the king and his friend were out on a hunting expedition. The friend would load and prepare the guns for the king. Unfortunately, the friend had done something wrong in preparing one of the guns, and after taking the gun from his friend, the king fired it and his thumb was blown off. Examining the situation, the friend remarked as usual, this is good. About a year later, the king was hunting in an area that he should not have to, to, he should not have been, for it was warned to stay clear of. Cannibals captured him and took him to their village. They tied his hands, stacked some wood, set up a stake, and bound him to the stake. As they came near to set fire to the wood, they noticed that the king was missing a thumb. Being superstitious, they never ate anyone who was less than whole. So untying the king, they sent him away. As he returned home, he was reminded of the event that had taken place and felt remorse for his treatment of his friend. He went immediately to jail to speak with his friend. You were right, he said. It was good that my thumb was blown off and off. And he proceeded to tell his friend all that had just happened. 
And so I'm very sorry for sending you to jail for so long. It was bad of me to do this. No, his friend replied, this is good. What do you mean, this is good? How could it be good that I sent my friend to jail for a year? If I had not been in jail, he said, I would have been with you. <laughs> I was caught in that illustration that I found. Not only was it humorous for me, but there was a phrase in there that brought my attention as I was studying this week. We have been, follow, we have been doing a mini-series that I began last week called uh, Footprints. And, and, and last week we looked at uh, indelible footprints, excuse me, we looked at Nicodemus, and this week we want to look at indelible footprints, Adam, and we want to look at it in a special way. The coverings we wear tell our story. All of us can remember the stories of the Garden of Eden. The story of creation began in many of our lives when we were very young, whether we were a believer or not a believer. We would hear the story of God creating. What we sometimes misunderstand, the simplistic of that, is that God simply spoke life into being. He just commanded life to begin, and it began. He created all of creation. He created the sun and the stars and the moon. And after each portion of that creation, he would say, it is good. He created the animals of the air, the animals of the land, the fish of the sea. It is good. He separated the waters from the lands and created the oceans and the rivers. And God said, it is good. But he came to realize along the pathway that of all this creation, something was missing. You see, he could not have a relationship with that part of creation. And so he created Adam from the ground. And then he said, this is very good. Because God had found someone and created someone who could choose to have fellowship with him. And in those early days of Adam's life, I was, as I reread the story several times this week, I was caught with some things that really struck me as quite amazing. I don't know about you, but I have this, I have a very imaginative mind. I can go just about anywhere in my mind. And I have this kind of imagination that when I get to heaven and I get to go to that mansion that God has prepared for me, I'm requesting already one simple thing. I'd like a video room. A big one. Monster TV screen. Big library of videos. But only one letter in the alphabet. B for Bible. I want my room to be filled with videos of the Bible, and I'm going to pull out the video on Adam because he was asked to do some exciting, but I'm sure he didn't understand things. 
You know, Adam was asked to do this in a unique way. I have, a, I have two pets at home. One is a 12-year-old dog named Bailey. Great guy. He loves us to death. And I have this hellion as a cat. He loves us too, but he just terrorizes the place. His name is Riley. Did you know that Adam was asked to sit down on a rock one day and God paraded before him every single animal he created and said, now you name it. You give it a name. Can you imagine Adam sitting there in the cool of the day and this thing passes in front of him? Well, I think I'll call that a giraffe. And then there's a little wiggly thing that kind of follows behind. Well, that's probably a spider then. An alligator, a bat. I asked myself, why didn't Adam call a giraffe a spider and a spider a giraffe? I have no idea. But he had the luxury and the privilege of naming every single creature. That to me is fascinating. And so our story today is Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they were in a beautiful place. There were no issues for them. They walked with God daily. They talked with God daily. He visited them in the cool of the day and talked with them. I can see in my mind's eye Adam and Eve sitting up against a tree in the Garden of Eden, and all of a sudden along comes a lion and a lioness and lays their head on their laps. And a dove flies down and rests on Eve's shoulder. And a hawk perches itself just over the tree and sings a song. It was a wonderful place. It was, a, it was truly what heaven might be like. But I also read in the story that Adam and Eve were tempted, and the temptation is simple. They grabbed the temptation, and the temptation was, I want more. I want more. As if God hadn't already given them enough, the, the, the devil who came in the form of a certain, uh, of a serpent, began to convince them that there was more than what you have now. And if you eat of this tree, you certainly won't die. As a matter of fact, you'll become wise. As a matter of fact, you'll get more because that's what you want. And we know the story. Eve took that, out, that fruit, whatever it was, took a bite of it and handed it to her husband, or to her partner, and immediately became ashamed. They were living in this garden at this time with no clothes, not ashamed, not embarrassed. But all of a sudden they became ashamed. That's a different word, but it really means they sinned. You see, sin often comes in the form of beauty. 
And sin will often come in the form of there's more for you. Sin produces shame. When God created humankind, you and I, and everyone in, hum in, in humankind, He created from the very beginning His desire to have a relationship. And so He created in Adam, He created in Eve, and He has created in every human being since then a desire to find Him. Genesis says, we are, let us make man in our image. And what God wanted was to create someone who would have fellowship with him, and he's created that desire within each and every human being. Whether we're an atheist, an agnostic, or a believer, God has created that in us to find him. We all know that people search for, to get that hole filled in many ways. Two ways. I want to suggest to you today that there are two ways that we learn, two footprints that we learn from Adam and Eve's story about how to respond to sin. Because sin puts a, block, puts a barrier between that that desire to seek God and actually find Him. It, it's like a big rock that's rolled across the, the cave. And nothing can come in and nothing can go out. And that's what sin is. And there are two ways, I believe, that we can learn from this story about sin. First, first, the first one I call is the camouflage approach to sin. The camouflage approach. Well, what is that? We notice that Adam and Eve, immediately after the sin, they covered themselves with fig leaves. Now, I looked up fig leaves this week on, the, on, TV, on, on my internet to kind of see what they look like. It wouldn't be very good covering, quite frankly. But we kind of think about it as clothes covering. But there was much more to that. They covered themselves up with fig leaves because they wanted to camouflage themselves from God. They wanted to hide from God. They had become afraid of God. They had a relationship with Him. And now that relationship was broken and they were afraid. And so I asked myself, what does camouflage mean for me? What, 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 are you, what, what am I thinking? I thought about this this week, and I see three things in the camouflage approach to sin. We compare ourselves to others. We begin to compare ourselves to others. Adam did that instantly. His sin was upon him because he was disobedient, and immediately he said, I'm better than her because she gave it to me. Often, even when it comes into our life, when we find that hole in our heart starting to get plugged up and we don't sense God around us, and we feel a shame, or we feel sin, or we feel wrongdoing, we often will take the camouflage approach and look around us and say, but I'm better than those guys. I'm not as bad as them. Even in the church. If we're honest with ourselves, 
We will look around to our brothers and sisters and we'll see all these holes in their life and say, well, see, I'm better than that. Thinking it will make us feel better. Thinking that it will help us open up that cavity that a rock is starting to slide between our relationship with God. And so we, we too can often use that as a way to try and open up the cave, the hole. But there's a second way. The second way is try hanging out with the right people. I understand this one particularly well. Because I, I've walked that road. I've walked that road. When I was working in the oil patch, you know my story, you know my testimony. You know that through a, a comment of my son, I was going to hell if I didn't get my life straightened out. It caused me to go on this pilgrimage and I began to see, I began to see that I, I wasn't connected with God. And I began to feel ashamed of who I was because he simply pointed that out for me. Bless his heart. And I thought, well, okay, Alice, let's, let's get out of the old patch here. Let's get back to Calgary. And I had this hole, and so I started going to church. It was almost as if and I had in my mind, if I'm just amongst a bunch of believers, if I'm just in their midst, when Jesus comes to take us home, I'll just go up with them. Because I'm with them. I'm, I'm one of them. That's the way I felt. I even became a Sunday school teacher. I even became a church leader. I was asked to become the moderator. And I thought, great, yes, yes, yes. Why? Because I thought if I'm one of those, I'm okay. I'm in good shape. I'm in a good place. Oh, excuse me. Often we fall into that trap of just putting ourselves with good people. And somehow, if we're good people, we will change. That's a camouflage. Third, skip religious activities altogether. If I just don't think about it, if I just don't pay any attention to it, I can go it on my own. I can get this done. I read this story about a famous billionaire who had just made a very generous donation to a charity, joking that he'd heard that you couldn't buy your way into heaven. But he said, my present donation was a good down payment on a place there. Sometimes we will just try to go it on our own. I have uh, some friends, and, and um, one of these friends of mine, we used to go, we had season tickets to the football game when my brother owned a Stampeders. And so we got to go to, no, we didn't get free tickets, by the way. Which is quite a bummer, as far as I'm, you know. But, you know. but anyway, we went, all of my brothers and our families, we went together to the football together. And my one brother used to get infuriated. He used to get angry. 
This is my agnostic brother. And as the, the foot players, players would come on the field and they'd kind of gather doing the warm-ups and, and maybe a minute or two before the, the whistle was going to be blown for the game to start both teams, there would be a group of people from both teams to go to one of the end zones. They would all join hands, kneel on the ground and pray. And my mother got so angry. He says, do, you, do those guys really think that God cares about football? You see, he's trying all kinds of ways not to surrender. He's trying to go on his own. And the very serpent, the very deceiver that deceived Adam and Eve will try to deceive you and say you can do this on your own. We live in an organized society where everything is graded. You've got grade A chickens, triple, triple grade A beef, grade A eggs, whatever that means. But you also have grades in school, grade A, grade D. Well, I'll tell you that the Bible says that there is a way that you can get to heaven on your own. I'll tell you what the passing grade is. John says, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if you want to try it, good luck. But that's a camouflage. When you think you can do this all on your own, you're, losing, you're using the camouflage approach to that hole in your heart. So the second thing I learned is what I call the visible, visible approach. One of these days I'm going to train young James up there just to read this so he knows where to push the button. The visible approach is the second one. What does that mean? What is the visible approach, I ask myself? Well, the visible approach begins simply with recognize we have sinned and fall short of what God's expectation of us is. We have missed the mark. We're, we're not what he wants us to be. And we need to recognize that. My brother this morning in his prayer said, what? If we confess our sins. Confession means recognition. Recognize that you are missing the mark. Often we have this fear of God. And there's the good kind of fear of God and there's the bad kind of fear of God. The good kind of fear of God is this. If you have little twinches in your heart that you're afraid of God, that's good because it will draw you to Him. Fear will draw us to God. Many times as a pastor, I've had the experience of being in hospice or being in the presence of those who are dying. And I want to tell you there's a difference between those who understand their relationship with God and have a relationship with God than those 
that have tried to go on their own. There's a fear there that is not a good fear. It is a it's a bad fear. And so the visible approach to our sins is to recognize that we are a sinner. That we have sinned and that we continue to sin. No, we're not, we know we're not going to get the passing grade. And so we continue with that and believe and surrender to what I call the change agent. Very early in this book, in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, God set the foundation for our relationship. You say, well, I don't, I don't get that. Verse 20 in chapter 3 says that God made clothes out of animal skins for Adam and Eve. He redressed them. They dressed themselves in fig leaves. He dressed them in his choice. He was, he was the great designer. And I will dress you. Simple. But think about it. What the clothes were made of. The skins of animals. Every animal in the garden was created with perfection. There wasn't a single unblemish on any animal created in the garden. They were unblemished. And the only way God could clothe Adam and Eve properly was to kill some animals, unblemished animals, to make the clothing. He way back then set the stage and said that we need to be clothed and surrender to the clothing that God has provided, and that clothing is the blood of an unblemished Savior. The blood of Jesus, unblemished, perfect in every way. And God killed him, allowed him to be crucified so that we can be clothed in his blood. The same kind of covering that he gave Adam and Eve to restore their relationship, he gives us in the 21st century the same clothing. The clothing of the unspotted lamb. We sing often in church, Jesus, the lamb of God. Unblemished. But we need to accept that. It's not just know it. We need to surrender. Knowing full well that that will cover us. Knowing full well that when that happens, we now have a relationship with God. And he will walk with us, and he will talk with us, and he will guide us, and he will lead us, and he will give us one like him to dwell in us, to actually come and dwell in us, and take a hold of that eternal part of us, and keep us safe. And finally, 
Remember, we are clothed with righteousness. God's clothing does not only cover our sin by the blood of the Lamb, but He imparts on us righteousness. He actually makes you and I righteous if we have surrendered under point two. He makes you and I righteous in His eyes. We become righteous. I don't believe that we fully understand that. But God sees us as his righteous child. But apart from that, he also then empowers us to be rightness. In other words, to begin to do right things. He imparts on us rightness. Listen to these words that that come out of Romans chapter 8. This is my sin now. I have to put my glasses on. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Let me read that again. And because you belong to him, Jesus, the shed one, the unblemished Son of God, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin. What does that mean? I suggest to you that that means until we are covered by the blood, until we see ourselves dealing with our sin in a visible way, that we don't have the power not to sin. We don't have the power. We, we're attracted to it. It's like we have no choice. But when we're covered with the blood, and Jesus imparts righteousness upon us, now he gives us the power not to sin. It doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes, but we do have the power within us to turn away. The visible approach is a difficult approach because it means you have to be vulnerable within yourself and you have to be honest within yourself and you have to ask yourself very difficult questions. As the worship team comes to lead us in our final song, I want us to think. I want us to think about that eternal part of us that seeks God. That part of us that, that has been created in each one of us. Is, is, is that an open cave? Or is it kind of closed in? And we know it's kind of closed in because we feel it. We feel a bit ashamed. We feel a bit frightened. We're trying to hide from the reality that somehow I have broken this relationship with God. Well, I want you to know 
that when we surrender ourselves to Christ and the shed blood on the cross of Calvary, we are righteous. And what our confession does for us is not to gain righteousness, but to empower us to live rightness. When sin blocks this hole between ourselves and God, it has nothing to do, if you, are, if you are a follower of Christ, and you have surrendered your life to Christ, when the hole gets blocked, it has nothing to do with your eternity. Because your eternity is secure. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have gone, and new life has begun. Jesus says, I know my sheep, and they follow me. They hear my voice, and I save them. My Father who has given them to me is greater than I, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hands. So we don't talk about eternity if we're a follower of Jesus, but we need to talk about how clear our relationship is with God. Is there little things in the way? that are stopping the real relationship. Because God wants to walk with you, and He wants to talk with you. He wants to love you, and He wants to lead you. So as we sing this song, as Oscar leads us, Oscar, as Oliver, he knows what I'm talking about. He's my buddy. As Oliver leads us in this song, let us think, individually think, as my brother has said this morning. Do an individual inventory for yourself this morning. Is there anything in the way? Are you trying to camouflage so that God can't quite see what's in the way? You think somehow if I go hide in the bushes, he won't see me? And he won't see that? God sees everything. He knows where you are at all times. And because you think he doesn't see you, it kind of starts a little blockage. I think my brother Jerry could call it whatever blocks your blood. A buildup. Maybe you've got a buildup of calcium or cholesterol or whatever those medical people call it. Well, I want to say when we sing this song this morning, you can have an angioplast from Jesus. You can have an angioplast from Jesus and he'll come in and he'll clear those blocks away because you're confessing them before him. You're admitting to him that there's something there. And he will cleanse it and clean it. And the blood of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit will flow once again powerful in your life. And He will change you. And He will march you. And He'll take you. And He'll take this church where He wants it to be under the power of Christ and the power of His Spirit. But we need to deal with it individually. We each have to have our place in growing in Christ. I'm sorry I'm beating you up. No, I'm not. So as we sing this song, take the moment to think, to contemplate, and then I'll close with prayer.